Hi, this is Andy Hoffman of CryptoGoldCentral.com, the sound money blog of the 21st century, in which I write daily of my vision of the future of money, in which gold plays an increasingly passive role and Bitcoin an increasingly dominant role at the center of the monetary universe. Try my free seven-day trial membership and contact me anytime at ahoffman at CryptoGoldCentral.com to ask about the blog or arrange cryptocurrency and or precious metal related consultations. In my one-on-one -on -one series, I seek to learn of and share the viewpoints of the Bitcoin community's top thought leaders and entrepreneurs. All episodes, including this, the 16th, can be found at CryptoGoldCentral.com, on my Twitter page, at Andy underscore Hoffman underscore CG, and the World Crypto Network's iTunes feed. This week, you'll be treated to an all-out assault on Bcash the vile, disgusting malware created by the despicable rogue sociopaths Roger Ver and Jihan Wu to milk the Bitcoin community of both profits and sleep via insider trading, ASICs boost, market manipulation, and mempool spamming under the pathetic, increasingly well-understood ruse of being Satoshi's vision. By now, it couldn't be clearer that Ver and Wu's true intentions are what they are, which fortunately cannot be sustained indefinitely, given that the flaws in their logic and the Bcash blockchain itself become more obvious and exploitable with each passing day. To take Bcash apart piece by piece, I'm honored to have first-time WCN guest, but longtime Bitcoin community leader Rocky Palumbo as my guest. Rocky, a frequent guest on Adam Meister's show, is a hardcore Bitcoin maximalist with a strong technical background in how cryptocurrency works, or in the case of Bcash, doesn't work as anyone. He's been mining Bitcoin for four years and running a full node for one, and provides broad crypto consulting services, including how to properly set up and back up wallets and mine Bitcoin. Following last week's This Week in Bitcoin podcast, when the four-person panel constrained him from fully taking apart Bcash, I thought the WCN audience would enjoy his full presentation. To that end, welcome Rocky to One on One. Thank you, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Excellent, excellent. Now, as was the case in last week's must-listen interview with Francis Pouliot, we're going to start with the primary news events of the week. However, in the spirit of brevity, to make sure Rocky fully annihilates every aspect of Bcash's fraudulent, self-destructive existence, we're going to limit this discussion to what appears to be the tail end of the great crypto correction of December 2016, which, or 17, which for all the hype was Bitcoin's, drumroll please, ninth 30 plus percent correction of the year and 15th overall correction, averaging 27%. Yes, it was dramatic, but only in terms of absolute dollars, as in percentage terms, it was barely more than the Bitcoin Unlimited, UAHF, pre-Bcash, and Chinese exchange ban declines. This time around, however, altcoins surged in the early stages of Bitcoin's plunge, given that the final blow-off stage occurred while Bcash was attacking. However, it's not like we didn't see this either during May's Ethereum flipping scare. Frankly, I see it as no more than a run-of-the-mill correction decidedly shallow and quick, given that before it, Bitcoin rose from 5,500 to 20,000 in barely a month, let alone the entire crypto sector, which over that period saw its market cap explode from 200 billion to 650 billion. And yes, I'm well aware of last night's non-news from South Korea regarding the potential crypto trading regulations that were announced last month, but regurgitated this morning as breaking news, despite not really being that material to start with causing yet another crypto plunge that since last night has kept crypto prices under pressure. To that end, Rocky, please tell us your views of the great crypto correction of December 2017 and whether you think last night's South Korean news was material or yet another meaningless FUD distraction. In other words, do you believe the correction is over or that Bitcoin's fundamental story has been weakened in any way, absolutely, and relative to the altcoin sector? Well, I see this as just more <clears throat> excuse me, just more up, ups and downs. You know, the Bitcoin price does this all the time. I've been around a while, so I've seen this all before. This is, this is not news to me. This is, um, you know, no, no big deal. Um, the price never got close to what it was just one month ago. So, um, you know, if, if it starts getting close to the price, you know, three, four, five months ago, I mean, you might want to start, you know, thinking about what's going on at that point. But, you know, is it, if it's well above last month's price, what are you worrying about? I mean, buy Bitcoin. 
Right. I mean, good. It, the gold. <laughs> Bitcoin first got to 10,000. And I remember being on the World Crypto Network's $10,000 show November 29th, meaning less than a month or basically a month ago. And now we're at 14,000. And everyone is uh, upset because no one likes to lose gains that were there. But again, parabolic surge. Uh, you know, you get you get some correction. I mean, we're talking about going back to July 1800 up to 20,000. So completely normal, like you say, and uh, we're going to be maybe consolidating for some time, but maybe when all these crypto hedge funds open uh, January 1st, it'll change. But what we both agree on is that nothing has changed in the uh, in the crypto sector and uh, and in Bitcoin's relationship to altcoins. I assume you don't see any change there. Oh, no. I mean, and let's look at the the big previous crash, the one that everyone, you know, was saying Bitcoin was dead and, and everything. Um, in late 2013, it got up to, um, I think it was $1,150. $1, and then over about 14, 15 months, it went down to $200. And, you know, everybody was saying Bitcoin was, was you know, on its way out, it was over, done. Um, but, you know, even if you bought at $1,150, um, if you would have just held, through all that, all the way down to 200. Look where it is now, you know, 15, 16,000. Yeah. And on top of that, now, you know, anyone who wants to talk the sector down, uh, they're not just dealing with Bitcoin, they are dealing with an entire sector because trillions of dollars are leaving the legacy financial sector and they are coming into cryptocurrency. And it's, uh, it's a tsunami. Uh, Bitcoin is at the center of the universe. But, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of places that money is going and a lot of places that it's coming from that uh, the powers that be are not happy with and there's nothing they can do about it. So, OK, we got the markets out of the way. There's plenty of talk everywhere in, in the news and in the, in the podcasts elsewhere about about the markets. Today, it's the main, the main event. Uh, basically, the teaser that you gave on Adam Meister's show last week uh, makes me believe this is going to be as entertaining as it is educational, which is. Rocky's detailed analysis about Bcash and consequently why everything Roger Ver has ever said or will say is either misleading, erroneous, or flat-out propaganda. Now, I will definitely chime in with a question or comment here and there, but Rocky, the floor is yours. Whatever topics you'd like to discuss regarding Bcash, let's talk about them. Well, first, let's just talk about what makes a good cryptocurrency, just in general. I mean, I think there's three main things you need to look at. Um, for a good decentralized cryptocurrency, you got to look at the developers, um, the nodes, and the mining. Um, the mining, I kind of uh, separate that separate that into two groups: um, the hash rate and the decentralization. So, in in uh, the developers, um, you know, Bitcoin gets an A plus. You got 120 of the you know best developers in the space. Can't go wrong there. What does uh, Bcash have? A handful of maybe B-rated developers, I'd say. Um, in the nodes, um, Bitcoin has um, about 9,000 nodes out there right now that are live right now. Um, Bcash has about 1,200. Um, in the mining, the hash rate uh, for Bitcoin is, I don't know, it's been fluctuating around uh, uh, 14 or 15 exahashes. And in uh, Bcash, it's been around one and a half to maybe two. Um, and then there's the decentralization. You know, to uh, help protect the network, you really want the miners, uh, you want a lot of mining power, but you want it spread, you know, evenly around the world. And that's where Bitcoin gets, uh, doesn't get an A plus there. Um, in the hash rate, they get an A plus. I think I skipped over that. Um, but in the decentralization, I give them maybe a B minus right now, but that's still the best in the industry. It's better than any other coin, but I sure would like to see it get better. Hey, Rocky, I think Rocky, can, can I ask you a question? What you were talking sure. about the nodes, if there are 9,000 Bitcoin nodes and 1,200 uh, Bcash nodes, obviously that's a much closer ratio than let's say the number of developers. Would you say that a lot of those 1,200 nodes are, are people who are running both Bitcoin and Bcash? No, I would say there's a good percentage of the Bcash nodes that are just purchased on these, uh, you know, uh, server services, uh, you know, where it's somebody with maybe a lot of money just goes and purchases these nodes and just, you know, runs them as uh, Bcash nodes, as opposed to in Bitcoin, the vast majority of them are the grassroots users running the nodes. Right. So, so th my, that's the big difference there. So my question is, is that 1,200... 
in some way kind of not even not even representative of the true of, of a lower amount of actual usage because again if someone has a, a war chest to buy these nodes and put them on to make it look like there's you know a narrower gap i mean is that kind of a possibility of what you're seeing definitely exactly that's it okay Good. Next. <laughs> okay. So for the decentralization, um, I see that changing in uh, the coming year, 2018. Um, we're getting some new manufacturers uh, coming into the space. Um, uh, I believe one is called a Dragon Mint. And so the specs on this is um, much better uh, efficiency than the best miner that's out currently with um, Bitmain. Um, and so you can pre-order them now and they're supposed to be shipping, I believe in March. So this is going to help, uh, the decentraliz decentralization issue in Bitcoin and bring that B plus or B minus up to a B or maybe even B plus by the end of the year, I'm hoping. Um, but besides that, uh, well, let me, uh, do some, uh, share. Well, 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 let me, and let me ask one question on that. If um, once Dragonman comes on, and let's face it, it's not just going to be Dragonman with the price of uh, Bitcoin and all cryptocurrency. There's no doubt with all the, the capital that's going to be spent from mainstream, there's going to be a lot more mining coming in from around the world, um, let alone if countries like China are, in fact, going to make it uh, reduce subsidies, which we don't know if that's true or not. Does that make it more difficult for Bcash to do these ridiculous attacks where they wait for the difficulty adjustment and they wait for Thanksgiving Day and then they just come in and attack and I mean does it make it more difficult for them to do that if Bitmain has less of a monopoly? Um well the more the hash rate there is the you know the more difficult it, it gets for attacking the network on, on many different levels. But um you know SegWit needs to get you know SegWit isn't really fully in, implemented yet, you know it, it was a soft fork, which means it's backwards compatible, which means all these wallets and, and services in Bitcoin don't have to upgrade to SegWit immediately. There's kind of this leeway. And so some wallets, <clears throat> you might say, are kind of dragging their feet a little bit. But um, once all the wallets uh, have SegWit compatibility and, uh, you know, the vast majority of the wallets and the vast majority of the transactions are SegWit transactions, that's when you're really going to see SegWit sh uh uh, shine. It's going to uh, really increase the block size to almost uh, about two megs. Um, and then when they come out with the Schnorr signature update, that will give us blocks that are three to 3.8 megs in size. So pretty much a four meg block at that point. Um, but we, we need this um, SegWit compatibility. We need the, these um, wallets to get off their rump and actually uh, come out with the updates. Right, because it seems to me, uh, now that I've been through, or we've all been through, four separate Bcash attacks. So, you know, I'm, I'm a layman, but I'm learning very quickly. And it's, you know, like in the first one, they say, oh, they're spamming the mempool while they're attacking. And it didn't take until the third or fourth time now where you realize that's part of the game. Because they play the propaganda game. They have Roger Bear doing his interviews and having all his trolls out talking about how, the, how it's slow. And yes, the network gets very slow, and then the exchanges like Coinbase, uh, regardless of all their other issues, uh, they have withdrawal issues and they say, look at how slow Bitcoin is. But the point is that that's a part of the strategy is to, is, is to have the network slow down. And you're saying as SegWit is more increasingly used and all the layering technologies on top of it, they won't be able to slow down the network like they have been and try to create this perception that Bitcoin is slow. Exactly. As Bitcoin comes, you know, is, is, uh, used more it will make a bigger block size and that bigger block size will make the spamming of the network more difficult um but you know this is all a good uh learning opportunity for bitcoin i mean bitcoin wants to be a worldwide borderless cryptocurrency you know and adopted by the masses and uh when we're at that point um we don't want to have to deal with any kind of attack like this. So it's better now that we have this attack and learn how to deal with it now before uh, it really does start to become a worldwide mass adopted currency. Does if that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, okay. the, point, the point that was made right here uh, about the fact that, that Bitcoin is, is going to be less centralized than ever before 
and that the attack vector for Bcash, I mean, look, all the attack vectors for Bcash are wearing thin, starting with the propaganda. And of course, I mean, look, if Roger actually has been you know, using these opportunities to sell some of his own Bitcoin and buy Bcash, which is, I guess it's speculation, uh, you know, even like that, even he has only so much to do, just like you can only spam so much before people are onto it, let alone when when the mempool, when Bitcoin can uh, can speed up itself and get away from it. So all these, the whole point of this call is that all these attack vectors that Bcash has been using are going to be rapidly waning. And that point was made. So now we're off to the next point. Well, let me just add real quick, uh, Bitcoin should be anti-fragile. You know, it shouldn't be easy to break. And these attacks aren't breaking Bitcoin. It's slowing it down a bit, but it's not breaking it. Bitcoin just keeps going on, and it, on average, every 10 minutes, it shoots out another block. Um, but like I said, it's best to learn how to deal with these attacks now um, uh, before, you know, it, it's, it has a worldwide adoption. Um, because, you know, the old saying, you know, that which does not kill you makes you stronger. And right. it's and helping to make Bitcoin stronger. Right. And the funny thing about it is, uh, and yes, you can call it funny, is that when we're at the worst and people are, are like in the middle of these attacks, like you had last week, and everyone is so stressed out about the prices going down and they're saying, oh, the mempool is, is slow and people are desperately trying to withdraw Bitcoin onto their trezors. In this particular case, desperately trying to get it off of Coinbase because of the association that they had with Bcash. And, you know, the worst case scenario for people has been it takes three or four hours, you know, so. Bitcoin, you know, you buy it to be digital gold and hold it, let's say forever, but certainly for uh, many years. And people are like, this is so horrible. I have to wait three or four hours when you don't need it for three or four hours. Frankly, if it took a year, it wouldn't matter. Uh, so again, these are very small problems. I think it's just more focused on the when the price goes down, particularly when it goes down against Bcash, where people feel really angry and frustrated. Uh, but in the in the big picture, like you say, even at this time where Bitcoin is not even close to, you know, prime time as far as functionality. It really doesn't matter. There's nothing wrong at all. Yeah. And if you think um, the core developers are just sitting there twiddling their, their thumbs, uh, you got another thing coming. I mean, they're analyzing uh, this attack. They're dreaming up new ways to combat against it. Um, I mean, I mean, let's look at SegWit. Before SegWit, it was impossible, impossible to do a block size increase without a hard fork. And these guys figured out how to do it with a soft fork. That's that's just incredible. So uh, I'm sure they're dreaming up ways to combat this. You you just watch. And of course, they have the the silent army. That army which didn't say anything, but all of a sudden supported the the UASF to the point where where they just pretty much drove Segwit through without any voices, just actions. Yeah, they like to think that, uh, or the miners like to think that they got SegWit in. They kind of did an end run around the uh, uh, BIP-148, but it was BIP-148 that really forced the issue. It was BIP-148 that got SegWit activated. Come on. I'm into that. And, and, and a big a big shout out to Charlie Lee for getting that process started. Yep. But um, on this chart here, this shows some, uh, this shows the different mining pools that are mining uh, Bcash. And um, you can see the difference between that chart and this chart here. This is uh, Bitcoin. And so it's you can see it's much more diverse or decentralized than Bitcoin. Um, this is where uh, Bitcoin gets its B minus in my book. Uh, but like I said, it's still better rating than any other blockchain. Um, but like I said, in 2018, I'm, we're hoping to clear that up. But here, this is not the same chart, if you notice. There's not as many pools, and there's this big, huge gray area here where it says other. These are unknown pools. Now, in mining, you don't want any one pool or one person to have more than 51% of the hash rate or control of 51% of the hash rate because they could do what's called a 51% attack. Now, in Bitcoin, because it, it has such a massive amount of hash rate behind it, you really can't even perform a 51% attack with 51% on Bitcoin. You would, uh, According to Andreas Antonopoulos, um, he said, I think it was 64 or 67, I don't remember, but it was somewhere in the 60s. You re really need at least 60% uh, or 64% or more to attempt a 51% attack in, in Bitcoin. Um, but Bcash doesn't have that much hash power, so you could perform a 51% 
uh, with 51% in Bcash. Now, with this unknown, this means it's unknown. This could be one pool or 20 pools. You don't know. Uh, it's unknown. But when your store of value is at stake, you have to assume the worst, right? Um, you have to assume that this is one pool, and it could even be one of these pools here that are known. They could have some of their miners showing that they're uh, that they belong to this pool, and other ones that are um, basically mining with uh, ski masks on. So if this is the case, and you got to assume the worst when your store of value is at stake, you got to take this 25 percent, uh, or that's a 35 percent. Sorry, don't have my reading glasses on. Um, that 35% added to this 25%, that's 60%. So in this chain, you potentially have one person controlling 60% of the hash rate. They could easily perform a 51% attack with 60%. And, and aren't, aren't Bitcoin, if you go back to that chart, um, the, aren't Bitcoin.com and BTC and via BTC, aren't they kind of all kind of owned by Bitmain? Aren't they, and pool, aren't they all kind of the same entity to start with? The, there are um, lots of talk about that, yes, and that just makes things worse, right? If Antpool really owns VIA, which that's probably the case, um, now add up the numbers, what do you got? Now you got 77%. Right, because VIA, BTC, if I remember correctly, literally no one had heard of them, and then out of the blue, they just said, we're doing Bcash. We are sponsoring and we're doing it. I had never heard of them, and then they did it, and obviously the big supporters of it were Roger Ver. So there's no doubt that there's some relationship there. And as for that other mining pool, it reminds me back of my Wall Street days uh, of a company called Enron, which had all kinds of offshore entities, just like, quote, other mining pool, which no one ever knew what they were, but they were all Enron. I have a very strong suspicion that that's what that is. Well, even if they are completely separate entities with you know their own leadership, they still could collude together, right? If those two colluded together and they also controlled the vast majority of this unknown, they would still end up together with 70% and they could tack the network together with 70% and you know split the profits. But basically with that much hash power, you could remine the past, you know, five to seven blocks, send all the outputs to your own wallets, and you know, you could uh, then take all those coins, exchange them for Bitcoin before the price drops. And uh, you would have a, a, a lot more Bitcoin before anybody knew what was going on because you would, people wouldn't notice this was going on. They would only see it when their transactions start disappearing out of their wallet. Right. People just have no, I mean, I shouldn't say no clue. A lot of people, certainly the people that are watching now, the over 500 people, they have a clue. Insider trading is not illegal in this business. Um, I don't even know if you'd call it a business. Cryptocurrency, these uh, decentralized platforms, um, it, there's, you could do whatever you want. And that's why when we see the collusion, unquestioned collusion going on, uh, you know, in this last Bcash crash or, or Bitcoin crash and Bcash ramp, there is so much money to be made from doing stuff like this, including, I mean, it's, uh, it wouldn't even matter. Uh, it wouldn't even matter, you know, if, if what they were doing had any purpose other than to simply enrich themselves that way, because it's so easy to do and no one's going to go to jail for it. So another thing that's really bad about Bcash is its um, EDA, its Emergency Difficulty Adjustment. This was just a really bad idea to begin with. Um, it was a short-term solution to fix a long-term problem, and it was really a bad one. What it basically did was created a, a whole bunch of inflation in that network. Um, it was created because they knew their chain was garbage, and the miners wouldn't come mine it. So the only way to lure them over was to give them extra uh, block rewards um, up to uh, 50, even 60 blocks an hour by lowering the difficulty, um, which makes the chain, oh, really fast, but you know, uh, for the short period of time. Um, but it's also, uh, you know, creating massive amount in, of inflation. And I can even show you. Um, a screenshot here of their blocks coming in. In this example here, they actually did 49 blocks in one hour. Now, Bitcoin on average does six blocks an hour, and it's usually pretty close to that. Six blocks an hour. So at 49 blocks an hour, you're you know creating a whole lot of more currency because every 
every block, you have the block reward. That's how new Bitcoin currency is created. So this is basically an inflation rate of 716% over Bitcoin. Um, I have another one here that I found that was actually 51 blocks in one hour. So that is um, an 883% uh, inflation rate over Bitcoins. Okay, and Rocky, so, Rocky, I'm just curious. Wasn't the EDA, at least the way I perceived it, wasn't it gotten rid of with the hard fork that they did a few weeks ago, or, or am I incorrect? I believe it was adjusted to t make less of an effect. But it's still there, and it's still creating inflation, is that what you're saying? I believe it is, but the inflation rate is much less. You could see it here. I think it was right around here is when they made the change. So you can see all this fluctuation here that it was creating. Now it's it's much less. It seems to be what the fix they did on it seems to be working to some extent. But I mean, we don't have a whole lot of data here to really look at. But what it did end up doing was um, it made that chain over 9,000 blocks ahead of the Bitcoin chain. But a lot of the rules on Bcash are the, are the same as Bitcoin. So like the halving rule. So they are going to... Um, I don't know what just happened there. Something made that click. Or, yeah, there we go. Um, like the halving rule, where Bitcoin, the block reward is going to have in the summer of uh, 2020. Well, Bcash is going to have 9,000 blocks before Bitcoin does. So now their block reward is going to be cut in half. So now, how much are they going to have? Are they going to have to raise? uh that uh or lower their difficulty and uh you know they're going to have to uh basically double how much they lower the difficulty in order to uh lure those miners over otherwise you know it's much more profitable to mine bitcoin so this you know 800% inflation could easily turn into uh, you know 1600% inflation at that point and then what's that going to do that's going to create uh them that's going to make them create a whole bunch of blocks even that much faster which will bring their next having even you know uh instead of uh, you know 900 blocks which is about uh, two months or 9,000 blocks which is about two months instead of being nine uh two uh two months quicker than bitcoin it's going to be you know six 12 15 who knows and the it thing was that, just, it's just a really bad idea having that kind of inflation so, uh, the thing that's so crazy about this whole thing is, yeah, they're creating blocks, creating blocks. The thing is that no one's using the blocks. Like if, I, if I'm correct, they're tiny blocks. So the point is the only reason they're doing this is to sell it at high, the high prices that are artificially created. They create this, uh, they create this war chest of propaganda and followers around the world, and they have these periodic pumps and the EDAs and all this to get the price real high. And obviously, uh, some collusion with some well-known exchanges and, uh, and news media companies to peg it or try to peg it at 0.2 Bitcoin. But the fact is all they're mining for is simply to sell it for profit. There no one is, no one's, these blocks are not full of actual people doing anything on it. Is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, who's going to store their value in a blockchain that has uh, this kind of mining? That's, that's not a smart thing to do where, where one pool or maybe two pools, or maybe this is really just these two pools that are, that look as though they're two pulls are really one pull, you know, have this much power, uh, have this much control of the hash rate. That is not a good idea to store your value on a on a blockchain like that. Um, in Bitcoin, when people were switching from solo mining to uh, mining in pools, uh, this was back around the year 2012, was when the pools started getting really popular. There was one pull that started getting close to the um, the high 40s. It was like 46, 47, 48% of the total hash rate. And people were really up in arms. I mean, people were going nuts. They were like, oh my God, this pool cannot have 50% uh, because if they got 51%, they could you know, do a 51% attack. And people were, I mean, it, it was, a lot of people were upset. But what ended up happening was this one pool came out and, um, made a statement saying, if we start to get close to 50%, we'll close, you know, we won't accept any, you know, new people joining and we'll make sure the hash rate doesn't, doesn't get up to 50%. Then other pools came out and they made similar uh, statements saying, if, if we're, if we're ever in that same uh, position, we'll do the same thing. So people kind of calmed down, then more pools were added and the hash rate kind of got, you know, more evenly distributed. So um, disaster uh, averted. 
But in Bcash, no, it's there. It's prevalent. Um, uh, uh, somebody who knows about Bitcoin and how the Bitcoin blockchain works uh, would never, ever store any value in a blockchain like this. By the way, how, how big is the average block on Bitcoin compared to Bcash? Um, on Bitcoin, the average block is a little over one meg. Um, I was seeing a bunch of them that were 1.2 meg uh, last night. I mean, uh, 1.1 meg. And I saw a few uh, 1.2s and 1.4. Um, so as as I was like I was saying earlier, as more and more people use SegWit, as more and more wallets support SegWit, um, that number will go up to two megs until uh, the Schnorr signature update comes out, then it will go to three to three point eight megs. And what's a Bcash average block size? Oh, they're small. It's in the kilobytes. I mean, it's not. There's hardly so, so like a tenth of a, a meg or a, a quarter. Um, you know, I could we could look at that here. So here, this is in kilobytes. So yeah, it's a hundred kilobytes. Yeah, that's a tenth of a meg. So in other, in other words, no one's using it for anything except mining it to sell it at at, at artificially propped up prices. I mean, to me, this is a Ponzi scheme. And it's one where if people don't realize the average person, I mean, look, as, as Adam Meister called it, the 80%, maybe they are just going to fall for the propaganda. But like what, what you're telling here is a story of a Ponzi scheme. Like it can't get bigger. The bigger it gets, the more unstable it gets. And obviously, no one's using it. He could say all he wants. Uh, about how it's so great and everyone needs it and you can spend, use it fast, but no one is using it. And the price is solely held up by this game that they're playing, which is unsustainable. That's that's the story you're telling me. Yep, that pretty much sums it up. And by the way, if you just before you go forward, can you go back to the, the chart of the hash rate for Bitcoin? Not big, not Bcash, Bitcoin. This chart here? Yes. I'm just curious if when you look at that, based on what you've heard and, and just your sense as a miner and someone who follows this, what do you think that chart might look like a year from now? Um, I don't know. I haven't given that much thought. Um, I'm hoping that the, um, you know, these other hardware devices that are coming out this year by uh, Dragon Mint and others, you know, decentralize. Uh, you know, the mine, the mining in Bitcoin. Uh, I want to definitely see that B minus go to a B or B plus in the, in the coming year. But um, you know, hopefully, it'll this you know the pieces in this pie will get divided up even more. Um, right. I mean, I'm reading from what I'm reading that this giant Japanese consortium is starting a, a giant Russian consortium. Uh, if you listen to France, he's saying that pretty much. Every uh, cold spot in Canada is being solicited and everywhere else. And then you have to keep in mind also that 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 uh, Jihan Wu is purposely only selling his equipment for Bcash. Uh, I mean, that's that's a big deal. That's a that's a may again. We talk about the price being propped up. This is an artificial prop of the price. And once people start using other forms of uh, mining equipment, which of course they're going to do. I mean, Bitmain is a tiny little nothing compared to the giant companies and countries that are going to be coming into mining, you'll realize that that artificial prop also is going to be pulled out of the market. Yeah, I, I agree. And I really hope that these uh, other hardware developers uh, come out with these miners and sell them, you know, they mass produce them and sell as many as fast as they can. Uh, I want to see this market change. I, I really want to see this, this B minus go to a B, B or B plus. Great. Um, but the, the main uh, thing that uh, the main attribute that the Bcash people are always bragging about is, you know, how they it's faster and cheaper there. And it's because they have this bigger block. But this bigger block size does not really uh, solve the issue of being a worldwide cryptocurrency. It really doesn't. You can't just keep doubling the block size. It does not work, period. Um, so. If you look at like all the transactions with Visa and MasterCard, now th these are what those systems can handle. It's not really what they actually do, um, but they are designed to handle up to that amount. And um, I'm going to speed through this a little bit here. 
And I also found that um, 62% of adults around the world are banked, only 62%, and that that creates somewhere between 200 and 500,000 transactions per second. So if, if Bitcoin wants to be a worldwide uh, mass adopted currency, it's going to have to do at least, I mean, just to start off, at least 100,000 transactions per second. So this would be a good goal, I think, um, for Bitcoin to have to, to become that worldwide uh, currency. So before SegWit, a block was base, was one meg. Um, and with if the blocks are full, you could basically have about three transactions per second. And, um, and you would have to add a one terabyte hard drive to a node storing the whole blockchain. You'd have to add a one terabyte uh, drive uh, every 19 years at this rate. You're adding a three meg block every 10 minutes. And so if you do the math, that's what that comes out to. Now with SegWit um, fully implemented without uh, Schnorr signatures, we're going to have a block size of about two megs. And that then we'll be able to handle about six transactions per second. And with a two meg block size, you're going to fill up another hard drive every nine and a half years. Um, now with, uh, hold on a second, it lost my spot here. Now with uh, Schnorr signatures, you're going to have a block size of almost four megs. It's going to give us about 12 transactions per second. And you're, you're filling up a one terabyte hard drive in 4.75 years. So now what uh, Bcash did was they came out with an eight meg block size. And uh, that gives them 12 transactions more over the four meg. So for those 12 transactions, um, you're, you're now filling up a hard drive every 2.37 years. And it's, taking, it's going to take twice as longer to download and propagate that block uh, throughout the network. And that's going to start to be an issue. There's this thing called the orphan rate which I can get into more detail later if you like, but just know that orphan rate is bad. The lower the orphan rate, the better. The higher the orphan rate um, uh, is, is bad for the network. It's bad for decentralization because a higher orphan rate promotes centralization. And then there's that pink elephant in the room, which I've heard before, and I'm sure you can elaborate on that. Bigger block sizes make the network less secure. Generally speaking, it's there's more attack vectors. So to get this measly 24 transactions per second, assuming that the blocks are full, uh, which would mean that people actually start using Bcash, which they've never done before. Um, you know, you're making the network less secure, far less secure to get literally no incremental gain. Yeah, it's not much bang for your buck, so to speak. Um, <clears throat> going from four megs to eight megs, you're getting 12 transactions per second more, but you're, you know, you're using twice the hard drive space and it's taking twice as long to propagate throughout the network which could be an issue with the orphan rate. Um, they have been making lots of updates to the internet to make the internet faster. And at this point, I don't think an eight meg block size um, is that much of an issue right now, but I'm not really sure about that. But um, again, it's going from 12 to 24. It's not very close to our 100,000 transactions per second goal, right? Yeah. So they're going to have to, without SegWit, they're going to have to block, uh, double the block size again. What were you going to say? Yeah, it just it just shows you. Again, it's one thing when, when Raj Javert and Jian Wu are, are big fish in a, in a small pond, and uh, people consider them experts. Heck, he was the Bitcoin Jesus just a few years back. But when, you, but when the big money starts coming in, now that the price is, is much higher, and you get all these uh, tech experts come in, and they're going to look at this and go, what? Why is it trading at 18% of a Bitcoin? Why does he say that that big blocks are better? It's, I mean, it's it's not even like it's not even like a question. It's just plain. It's literally like saying if Roger Bear just kept saying two plus two is five. They say it's four. I say it's five because that's basically the equivalent of, of the arguments they're giving. Oh, if you'd like to get into Roger Veer, we could get into Roger Veer. Uh, we could probably no, do a no, whole other no show need, on that. No need, no need. Let's stick to the facts. But it's true. Uh, that's the, he's giving completely fallacious arguments. That's all. Uh, well, there's a lot more to Roger Veer about than that. Um, like I said, well, maybe I'll try to go through this presentation a little bit fast. We might have a little bit of time at the end, maybe. Good. Or you can have me back. I'd, I'd be happy to come back. Oh, you'll definitely be back, but let's let's try to let's try to stick with the facts and uh, and see how much time we have. Okay, so uh, 
they're going to have to uh, double the block size again at some point. I mean, if their chain ever gets used, you know, and we just saw an example of how it's not being used uh, by looking at their, their blocks, current block sizes that, you know, are being used. Um, but assume it, it's being used and it starts to um, have scaling issues. They're going to have to just double the block size again because they don't have SegWit. So they can't, uh, or at least it makes it much harder to add these uh, second layer solutions and the side chains. Uh, without SegWit because SegWit has the malleability fix. Um, so doubling the block size, again, you got a 16 meg block, which now still gives you only 48 transactions per second. And you have to add uh, one terabyte hard drive to your um, uh, node every uh, 1.19 years. That's starting to get ridiculous. Um, and with this 16 meg block propagating this around, uh, that's, that's definitely going to start to raise your orphan rate at this point. Um, so when those blocks fill up, their best solution is the right double the block size. Um, so now they got a 32 meg block. They still only have 96 transactions per second and they have to, uh, you'd have to add a new one terabyte hard drive to your node every 217 days. And now you're, you're talking about an, a probably pretty close to an extreme orphan rate. Um, so let's go through, let's go through doubling here a few times. Let's get down to uh, a two gig block size. So now you're, the nodes have to download a two gig block, assuming the blocks are full, right? They need it. So this is this is two thousand times the size of Bitcoin's uh, block now. Um, if if you're, yeah, well, Bitcoin's a little bit bigger than one meg now. I mean, the blocks okay, are but, bigger but than roughly one. two thousand. Yes, roughly. Yeah. Okay. okay. So th this is a. A two gig block is going to take, you know, a 50-50, you know, 50 megs up, 50 megs down internet access um, service is going to take 5.3 minutes to download just the two gigs. But a node not only has to download a, a, um, a block, it has to verify the block and then upload it to several more nodes to propagate it, you know, throughout the whole network. So if your download, if your download takes 5.3 minutes and upload to several more nodes, that's going to be 15, 20 minutes. Now you're talking about a 20-minute processing time, 20 to 25 minutes to process this one block for a block that's coming in every 10 minutes. Does anyone see a problem here? Okay. Yes. And now, and now this is just a two-gig block, and and you're only getting 6,000 transactions per second, nowhere near a 100,000 transaction per second goal, and you have to add another one terabyte hard drive to your node every 3.4 days. So um, this is not going good for um, a blockchain that simply doubles the block size every time they have an issue. And again, again, Rocky, when I, when I see this stuff, and I know that all of the 567 viewers that are live, and who knows how many thousands, because I'm really hoping that this spreads virally, because uh, you know the way that I look at this, you know, four times now, four attacks that we've had to deal with. And now the big money coming in. Now it's time for Bitcoin to fight back. We're very passive. We're decentralized. We're not like them that have this uh, central team that plans these things. But like the the UASF, it's time for the Bitcoin, the silent majority, and hopefully the uh, the not so silent uh, minority like us start spreading this word around. Because what what we are looking at here, people, you can use the word Ponzi scheme. You could look at. You could use the word. Um, fraud or just uh, true equals does not equal false. Uh, this is so unbelievably unsustainable. Everything about this network is criminally fraud. And uh, please spread the word. This is not sustainable over time, these games that they're playing. So let's go through a couple more doublings here. And now we're up to an 8 gig block size. It takes 21 minutes to download. Um, so that's going to be, uh, you know, plus you've got to verify all the data in there and then upload it to several more nodes. So that's, you're looking at an hour and a half, two hours to process this block that's coming in every 10 minutes. And if these blocks are mostly full, you're going to have to add another one terabyte hard drive to your node every 20 hours. Okay, so let's um, double again. Now you've got a 16 gig block size. It takes 42 well, let's, minutes. Let's go to the 100,000. Show me what 100,000 okay. will be. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, well, you got a 30 to get to 98,000. That's almost 100,000. Let's just say 100,000. You got a 32 gig block. 
it takes almost an hour and a half to download. So to and to then process all that, you know, to verify the block and then upload to several more nodes, we're talking about four or five hours for a block that's coming in every ten minutes. And you're going to have to add an un, uh, a one terabyte drive every five hours to this node. Yeah, so, and this, this, this know, is a block that's thirty thousand times larger than Bitcoin's current block size. Basically. So let's um, see how they're 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 getting to a hundred thousand here. Let's sum up. You got your thirty-two gig block. Uh, you got almost hundred thousand transactions per second, and you're adding a one terabyte hard drive every five hours. So now with Bitcoin, you got SegWit going on there. So you could stay with this, uh, you know, three to three point eight meg block with twelve transactions per second, adding a one terabyte hard drive every four point seven five years. But because of SegWit, it makes it much easier to add your side chains and second layer solutions. Uh, the first of which is going to be the RSK, which they're they're launching right now on a limited uh, uh, scale. That's rootstock. Yes, RSK. Yeah, and um, they're going to give the network uh, 400 transactions per second with a 10 second confirmation. 10 seconds. Um, after they get going, after a year or so, they hope to increase that 400 transactions per second to 2,000 transactions per second. And, so, and when you say a 10-second confirmation, meaning right now when Bcash is not attacking, the network is normal, your confirmation time is probably 5 to 20 minutes, and you're saying it'll go down to 10 seconds? I don't believe it would have uh, much effect attacking the network or not. Um, so I'm saying what, what we've seen, forgetting now, just a normal normal time right now is about 5 to 10 minutes, would you say, uh, or 5 to 20 minutes, and you're saying it will get down to 10 seconds? Yes, using uh, RSK. And RSK has a one-to-one -one peg with Bitcoin. So when you come out of Bitcoin into RSK, into the sidechain, you're, you're keeping your store of value. I mean, because people like to talk about Litecoin as being the silver to Bitcoin's gold, where you store your main value in Bitcoin because that's where your uh, store of value is. And then you would pull a little bit of Bitcoin out into Litecoin to do your, transact your, your transacting during the day or during the week. Right. That's assuming that there's retail outlets that accept Litecoin, which, you know, there are none around me so far. Um, so um, but now while your money is in Litecoin, you're susceptible to its fluctuations right you don't have that store of value at that point and you have two and a half minute confirmation times you know block times are two and a half minutes which is much which is faster than bitcoin but it's still two and a half minutes where rsk you you still are you still have that store of value of bitcoin because it has the one-to-one -one peg and instead of two and a half minute confirmations it's got 10 second confirmations so i see rsk as kind of being a litecoin killer right it it steals this value from litecoin as being the silver to bitcoin's gold now litecoin still could have a purpose you know as being a test bed like it was with segwit it was tested on there there was a bounty out for it a million dollars if you could uh crack segwit on on um on a litecoin and after you know when nobody was you know nobody collected that bounty and then it was after that that you know it made it to bitcoin so i think that's a great process because there's so much value stored in bitcoin you don't want to make any changes to the network unless you're absolutely sure you know that these changes are bug free um there's just so much at stake when you have a coin that's you know fifteen sixteen thousand dollars right and and it just highlights the fact again you know people don't realize how much technology is going to be uh, invested, how much money is going to be invested in, in Bitcoin technology, particularly, well, A, because SEG was activated, and B, because the market cap is bringing in the institutional money. But it just highlights the case that if you are an altcoin, no matter what altcoin you are, you need to really differentiate yourself because you're going to be competing. Many cases, Ethereum is a perfect example of something that will be directly competing with Bitcoin. Uh, and uh, some will do it quick, some will take many years to happen, and there are going to be, just like in the internet age, there are going to be some winners for all different reasons. So, uh, but, but it's gonna get harder to compete with Bitcoin on certain of these core functions. Well, I see all the altcoins as kind of test beds for Bitcoin, right? Because they're all testing out these different ways of doing things. If any of them really has uh, some attribute that's all that much better than Bitcoin, I mean, the core developers can just, you know, uh, add that to Bitcoin. I mean, it's, you know, just like the, the, they're stealing the whole idea of Bitcoin and creating their own thing. 
any one little attribute of that could be added to Bitcoin. And so um, they're basically these test beds out there. They're are basically doing research for Bitcoin. So if you're buying into any of these alts, you're actually funding Bitcoin research. Uh, that's how I see it. But one other thing that RSK is is giving us is Ethereum-like contracts. So not only uh, is RSK taking away that uh, value from Litecoin as being a better way to transact. Um, um, oh, I also left, I think I left out that these um, RSK transactions are going to be very cheap, as, as cheap as Litecoin or cheaper. Um, and then, of course, you got your 10-second confirmation, and it's got Ethereum-like contracts, so it could also take a big dent out of um, the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah, I mean, my, my take on transactions in general, like when people say Litecoin, is, it could be silver to, to uh, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin's gold. Yes, it could be in a way. Look, if you have this kind of capital coming into the sector, look, as we are obviously seeing, it diversifies itself. It's looking for names. But uh, I never bought the idea that Litecoin is going to be uh, silver to the gold because you will use it for transactions. Uh, you may use it for transactions. You may use Bcash for transactions. You may use Dash and and 50 others and probably 500 others that haven't even been invented yet. Plus, all of the uh, centralized. I mean, Amazon.com could have their own coin to be used for transactions. So I don't think anyone's really going to differentiate themselves uh, on a, you know, from a valuation standpoint, if you're going to like, you know, invest to make money on transactions. Because like you said, Bitcoin is the king and will win that. If you're going to be an altcoin that's going to be successful, you got to do better than saying, well, yeah, we're, we're slower than Bitcoin. Well, yeah, you're slower than Bitcoin because no one uses you. And also because Bitcoin hasn't scaled yet. Yeah, that's true. And um, you could want to be, you know, you could want to use this or that altcoin for transactions. But a lot of things have to happen before that can happen, right? There has to be a mass amount of people that want to use it to, to transact in to get the retail shops to accept it as a form of payment. Um, so unless your Litecoin is going to get traction, or I mean, unless your altcoin is going to get traction, and, and have, you know, the massive army behind it and infrastructure like Bitcoin, um, you're never going to get to that point to be able to use it. You got the whole chicken and the egg uh, scenario here. The retailers don't want to accept it as as payment because, you know, they got to go through all this. Uh, they got to add, you know, the ability to accept it as payment. You know, there's infrastructure there that they need. And uh, they're not going to go through all that unless the vast majority of their customers want to uh, use it as payment. And the customers don't have it or use it, you know, unless the stores take it. So there's kind of this, you know, uh, catch-22 situation going there. And so that's that's a lot of stuff to balance out. And right. uh, Bitcoin's closer to doing that than any other uh, coin right. by far. And in, and in Bcash's case, you also have these other, these network-related issues that no one wants to deal with, such as the fact that you have this major centralization and collusion amongst the miners, the fact that no one uses it now, and certainly what they've done recently is not going to do anything for their reputation, uh, either as an investment or, you know, to have widespread usage for transactions. Uh, and But the other point, you know, use the word massive army. The only way it's going to happen that uh, an altcoin is going to become a major transactional hub where people say, eh, I don't need to transact, transact in Bitcoin. I'm, I'm going to just use Dash or Bcash or, or Litecoin. You need a massive army of support behind you. And that's the whole illusion of Bcash. People think that they have a massive army behind them when they really just have one major holder in Roger Ver, and who knows how much he holds at this point, uh, one holder of Bitcoin who's able to use it to spend money and to presumably buy some Bcash. You have one major miner who is a major player in Bcash, but you know increasingly is going to be marginalized in Bitcoin, which is where it matters. And then when you talk about their army, it's really trolls. I mean, I, I'm not trying to say that there aren't some smart people out there who support things that I don't support, but I look at the at the leaders and the leaders aren't exactly a stellar crew. Uh, and then I look at the followers and anyone who's on Twitter sees the Bcash followers. These people are not people who are incented by money in many cases, mostly it's incented by ideology and, um, the hope that somehow they're going to get paid one day, but there is no massive army of support.
behind Bcash. It is a pyramid right from the top, and that pyramid is getting weaker with each passing day. I'd have to agree. Agree with all that. Um, <clears throat> so just to uh, finish up this presentation here, we got uh, also the first second layer solution is going to be the Lightning Network, which of course has very cheap transaction fee, and the uh, confirmation is instant. And it can handle up to 100,000 transactions per second. So now in this scenario, we've reached our 100 transaction per second goal. And by doubling the block size, it's just impossible. You cannot reach this goal by doubling the, pro uh, doubling the block size. This currency could never be a worldwide mass adopted currency, period. OK, so look. Bcash is impossible to get to uh, to worldwide adoption. F assuming anyone wanted to use it on their roadmap, it's literally impossible. And Bitcoins is pretty simple, just using stuff that's readily available now. I mean, Rootstock is being implemented now. Lightning Network's being implemented now. Schnorr Signatures very soon. And of course, you know these things we're talking about now are you know the tip of the iceberg. People are just starting to invest in post-segwit technology. I mean, literally months ago. So, you know, you think about where we're going to be, let's say, three years from now with how much money will be put into this. And we may be even talking about the current version of the Lightning Network being inefficient and slow. I mean, it's just that that's what that's what Andreas Antonopoulos is saying. He's saying that we're going to get to a million or 10 million transactions per second. Yes. And did that presentation make sense? Did I speak to it through it too fast or? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I believe. Well, the fact that we have the highest amount of viewers that we had on, on this entire call now means people are listening and adding on. So I followed it. I think they followed it. That's enough to digest for now about Bcash. I don't think we need to give it any more time because I think you thoroughly debunked uh, the uh, propaganda of why, why they, they say that their coin is better, which it is not. So next, uh, we're just going to move forward. I want to talk a little bit about Rocky's business, uh, particularly because it's a perfect seg from last week's show with Francis Pouliot. Uh, like Francis, Rocky is an expert about how wallets work, online, offline, paper. And like Francis, he can help you with wallet-based issues. Uh, you contact him at rockypalumbo at outlook.com or go to his website, btcmeetup.webstarts.com. Uh, he's been a miner for four years, running a full node for one. And so, therefore, he knows about as much about the technical aspects as anyone you'll find in the space. So, uh, Rocky, I just want to ask you, what are some of the common problems you have come across when dealing with Bitcoin wallets? And what would you advise people to do to prevent these issues from arising and uh, troubleshoot when they do? Moreover, would you recommend the mining of Bitcoin or other crypto by layman, or is it something best left to professionals and computer experts? Yeah, it's best left. Um, the to mine, you need cheap electricity. Number one, I'm still mining today. I'm mining at a profit, but that's only because um, I had designed and built my own um, solar panel array years ago, and the savings I got from that it paid for um, the the construction of it. So now all the electricity I get from that, I consider as free electricity. So the little mining that I'm doing is basically free electricity. So um, it's hard to go wrong when you have free electricity. But with unless you have electricity that's like under $0.08 cents a kilowatt, it's going to be really hard to be profitable just by Bitcoin. Um, as far as the wallets go, a big problem I see with people and their wallets is they don't pack it up. I mean, everyone says, back up your wallets, write down your wallet words, your seed words. And people just some people just refuse to do it or save it in a safe place. I know one guy who put them in his back pocket after I helped him set it all up. He folded up the wallet words and put them in his back pocket, forgot to take them out, and his wife did the laundry, and <laughs> his wallet words are now gone. So uh, be responsible with your wallet words and back up your wallet, and you'll be okay, number one. Number two, of course, the safest wallets there are are the hardware wallets. You got to get a a um, Nano S or a Treasure. Um, they're the best, and you can't go wrong with either one of those. Great. Yes, and, and again, you know, as as I'm trying to help people understand, there are places to go uh, if you need help. Uh, certainly, you know, Rocky at, at his website, Francis, 
go to local Bitcoin meetups. Certainly my co consultations, uh, when I talk about these things, I'm always helping people to find sources of help. But again, the number one thing to know when it comes to wallets is be careful, be safe, and be smart. Okay, now finally, uh, we couldn't have a year-end show without asking our guests to prognosticate about some of the key themes they expect for 2018. As for me, I'll simply restate my belief that 2017 was a mere appetizer to the dramatic, historic, and world-changing revolution I expect in next year. As for you, Rocky, how do you see things playing out? I see. I think 18 is going to be a big year in Bitcoin. I mean, we're all set up with the futures market. We got that all squared away this month, and um, these hedge funds and other funds are going to be uh, buying this up, um, probably in January. And uh, we could see a massive price rise in January. So buy your Bitcoin now. That's <laughs> what I recommend. Um, yeah. I, yeah. There is there is this wave of money coming in from Wall Street. And the only thing debatable is, um, is it going to be a small wave, a medium wave, a large wave, or a tsunami? Um, I think it's going to be medium or bigger. It's not going to be a small wave. Yeah. And of course, you know, that's only half of the issue. And when we talk about Wall Street, by the way, we're talking about all of the world's Wall Streets, which includes not just banks, but it includes all wealthy investors, institutions, governments around the world that are looking for what I believe is the new the new gold. I do believe that. And of course, that's only half of the, the money that's coming in. The other half is going to be the actual, as we're talking about, capital investment in the space, uh, which is going to be very exciting. So with that, we're going to conclude today's bottom line podcast of why Bcash never was a threat to Bitcoin and never will be. And equally importantly, that the only threat it poses is to itself, as not only is the Bcash scam unsustainable, but the world is rapidly catching on to what cryptocurrency experts like Rocky Palumbo have known all along. If you'd like to set up a cryptocurrency-related consultation, please contact him at rockypalumbo at outlook.com. And if, you, if you'd like to meet him somewhere in Southern California, the local meetup he runs can be found at btcmeetup.webstarts.com. As for me, please check out the free seven-day trial membership at my website cryptogoldcentral.com sign up for a full year for the nominal fee of $225 or contact me at ahoffman at cryptogoldcentral.com if you have interest in a cryptocurrency and or precious metal related consulting session thanks very much and have a great crypto day